0: This week, we're blessed uh, to have uh, Christine Ingevitsen with us. Just want to invite her to speak. Come on up, Christine. All right. Thank you so much, Pastor Garfield. Thank you, Pastor Mimi, for your hospitality. I'm so grateful to be with you. Hello. I was in the front, so I didn't see all y'all. It's good to see you here with us this afternoon. I am so grateful to be here, uh, really to share a message that's way beyond just foster care. But I do want to start by just sharing a little bit about what Foster the City is. Foster the City is a movement of churches committed to providing a loving home for every child entering foster care. We dream of a day when instead of a waiting list of kids in need of a loving home, that there would be a waiting list of families ready to welcome kids entering foster care. That is our dream and that's what we're working towards and we're so grateful for the partnership of Emerge in that mission and vision. I'd like to start today, actually, by telling a little bit about my story, sharing my journey with you. My story has been shaped by foster care and adoption, but it started with heartbreak. I had a plan for my life. Anyone else have a plan for your life? (laughs) I mean, I think we all do. We have this vision of the way we think life is gonna go. I had a plan. And it was uh, four, I would get married, and I would have four kids two years apart. They would sit at my feet. It would be the ultimate discipleship. <laughs> and they would be like, yes, mama, show me your ways. <laughs> oh, so uh, we we had the privilege of having one, one biological child. And then I've got to tell you, months turned into years, and we were never again able to have another baby. There is so much I could tell you about that season. And... How it was so dark. It was really a dark night of the soul because I wondered, I I wondered what God was doing. I know that He has the power to do anything, to say the word. And yet He decided to say no to the cry of my heart for another child. He met me there in that deep, dark place, as he, He so often does, because He's close to the brokenhearted. He draws near to those who are crushed in spirit. And I found a new relationship with him in that dark time in my life when things did not go according to plan and everything just felt like it was turned upside down. So much I could tell you about that season, but here's the beautiful reality. Through those years of heartbreak, as I desired to mother more children, God began to awaken my heart to the reality that in my community there were children in need of a mama. Whether it was for short Amount of time or whether it was forever. I love this picture of my plan versus what happened because this is really how life works. This is such a picture of our life and it's also such a picture of foster care. Here's what I find again and again, though, my friends, is that God uses our deepest wounds to release us into our greatest callings. That those places, and there's a There's a slide there that shows those words. Sometimes those places that we feel like God has been the most silent, sometimes those places where we feel like we've made the biggest mistakes, sometimes the places where we feel like we can't believe that we've gotten ourselves in this situation or that life has ended up here, those are actually the seasons when we surrender them to Jesus that can become the birthplace of some of the greatest gifts that we can give to the world around us and some of the most incredible moments of intimacy with our Jesus where he lights the fire. What a beautiful time of worship this morning. When we were singing about him fanning the flame, I I kept thinking of Revelation, Jesus with fire in his eyes, looking at us with love this afternoon. This led us to foster care. Out of this wound of infertility, God awakens me. And this led us into this space. And so we've had the privilege over the years to foster children and they've seen them go back to families, which is the goal of foster care, reunification, restoration of families. And then we've had the privilege of adopting our two youngest children. I have a picture of my family. So we have a 24-year-old, a 16-year-old, and a 7-year-old. So it's quite an adventure. <laughs> the 16 and 7-year-old are actually biological siblings, which is a story for another day, a total God story. Um, he is writing stories that we could never imagine. And that's not to say it's all beautiful and perfect and tied up with a bow. No. It is hard. One of my favorite writers talks about life as brutal. And that's the experience of foster care and adoption. God has broken our hearts wide open through our experience to the needs of kids in our community who are experiencing foster care. But I I want to lean in close to God's heart this morning by starting with a story that has a powerful nugget, really a life-changing invitation, I believe, uh, that that to me will shape our lives if we can tune into this invitation and the gentle whisper of the Holy Spirit as we walk along our journeys. And so we're going to open up to Mark chapter 1. Verses 40 to 42. Very familiar story, but with a very powerful, powerful invitation today. On one occasion, a leper came and threw himself down in front of Jesus, pleading for his healing, saying, You have the power to heal me right now, if only you really want to. Being deeply moved with tender compassion, Jesus reached out and touched the skin of the leper and told him, of course I want to heal you. So now be cleansed. Instantly, his leper's sores completely disappeared and his skin became smooth. I'd like to just invite you to imagine this story with me. I think sometimes we have familiarity around stories and one way that we can really start to look at these gospel stories stories from a different perspective is by putting ourselves in a situation. So I want us to put ourselves there, this extremely sick man with a visibly horrific skin condition. Okay, a lot of us can hide our funk. We're going around looking like everything's okay. We can hide it. We can hide what's going on inside of us. This man could not hide his pain, his brokenness. He came to Jesus in public, in his posture of desperation. He was breaking all the rules, coming out in public. Remember this man's disease, his leprosy? Some of you know this. This made him unclean in his community. He was not allowed to be around people. Most people thought leprosy was also a curse for something that either he or his parents had done. Right? Remember the story in John 9 where there's a blind man and the disciples are like, who sinned? Jesus, you know, They saw a man in pain and they made it a theological conversation. And Jesus is like, you're asking the wrong question. But remember, who sinned, him or his father? Right? Jesus is like, this, you're way off. This is so that the work of God could be revealed in his life. Watch what I can do. Right? So you've got this culture that sees any kind of sickness as as you're not just sick, but you have been in sin. You are cursed. It's it's there's this fear around leprosy. He was untouchable, most likely completely isolated. How much rejection? How much trauma? How much disconnection had this man been living with? When was the last time he'd been touched? I think um, our collective experience with the global pandemic gives us more of a sense of what this man's experience was like, right? We can understand this isolation with the natural end being dying alone. Do you remember that horrific season of the pandemic where people would be alone in hospital beds and not able to be with their family at the end? That was this man's fate. You know, just this year, um, our Dr. Vivek Murthy, are you aware of this? I have a quote here. In May of this year, the US Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy, released a new advisory calling attention to the public health crisis of loneliness, isolation, and lack of connection in our country. Even before the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, approximately half of US adults reported experiencing experience measurable levels of loneliness. Disconnection fundamentally affects our mental, physical, and societal health. In fact, loneliness and isolation increase the risk for individuals to develop mental health challenges in their lives, and lacking connection can increase the risk for premature death to levels comparable to smoking daily. Can you believe that? I was amazed at this. What an incredible invitation and opportunity for the people of God to be the ones who say, you can come home. You can be here. You can experience community. You do not have to be isolated. Come and be welcomed into our house and our community. What an incredible privilege we have. And I love, I just love our Jesus. I have a picture of him and Here, of course, it wasn't him, you know. (laughs) I have a picture of Jesus. (laughs) I've never said that before. That was good. Um, Just to imagine, I think it's important. And, you know, we probably, just so tender, the tenderness of Jesus. He understood this man's loneliness was worse than his physical ailment. It was worse than his physical ailment. To be without emotional comfort and, and presence, it's unbearable. You can bear anything when you have someone carrying it with you when you know that someone sees you and loves you and will hold you and carry you through it. Just love Jesus. The text says, deeply moved with tender compassion. I mean, I am getting chills right now, and I've read this 50 bazillion times. Our Jesus, he takes my breath away. Deeply moved with tender compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. This is so extraordinary. Jesus, as you know, could have said the word this man would have been healed. He could have healed him in a number of ways. But we see Jesus doing what he does again and again. He sees the need under the need, the pain beyond the pain, and he addresses that. He touches him. He touches this man that is untouchable. You just have to remember, again, how much fear there is around leprosy. I mean, this is like in the COVID, the height of the COVID pandemic, Someone going up nose to nose. Hey, what's up? Nose to nose with someone who has COVID. Like, it is so completely unbelievable that Jesus would touch him. And we just don't understand that. And that, I think, is one of the gifts of this pandemic, for us to understand the fear around this. Jesus was always turning things upside down, doing things that were unexpected right? He, and, and we are his people. And so when we follow in his steps, we will be known as the ones who are doing the things that no one else does. <laughs> that is who we are. The wonder of Jesus. He steps into stories that no one else wants to step into. He touches people, speaks to people, looks into the eyes of people that no one else pauses to stop and notice. And his heart of compassion lives in you by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Pastor and author Dane Ortland, in his beautiful book, Gentle and Lowly, I don't know if you've heard of that book, but it's a beautiful one, he points out that the Greek word for compassion refers most literally to the bowels or guts of a person. It's an ancient way of referring to what rises up from one's innermost core. This compassion reflects the deepest heart of Christ. What was Jesus' deepest anguish? The anguish of others. What drew his heart out to the point of tears? The tears of others. Notice here what Mark uh, 1 says. Jesus sees the man, his broken heart, his broken body, his lonely soul, and he moves into action. He moves into action. How often do we find something heartbreaking and we say, oh, that's so sad. Somebody should do something about that, right? Don't we do that? We we say it's so sad and then we proceed to distract ourselves with whatever it is that we can find. A lot of us are experiencing compassion fatigue because our souls are not built to hold all the trauma and tragedy across the world. Our souls are built to hold what's in our own sphere, and yet we have access to all this pain all across the world, and so it just renders us powerless. We just feel literally like our hands are behind our back, and we can't do anything because we can't fix it. So we don't do, because we can't do everything, we don't do anything, and that's exactly where the enemy wants us. And Jesus, moved with compassion, touches him. We are invited to co-redeem with Jesus in his work in the world. You get to be a part. You get to be a part by the Holy Spirit's power in you and partnership with Jesus of what he wants to do in your community, in your world. John Tyson, one of my favorite pastors and preachers from New York City, he says, the reason so few do what Jesus did is because so few feel what Jesus felt. What if God is speaking to you through your emotions and you're just shutting it down? Throughout the Gospels, there's never an instance where I see Jesus moved with compassion where it's not attached to action. His compassion always moved him into action. And I believe that if there is anything that you can walk away with today... I would invite you by the power of the Holy Spirit to welcome compassion as an invitation into action that when you are stirred with compassion that you would say, Holy Spirit, what is the invitation? What is the invitation here? This is how God, how does God speak? I can't hear his voice. I don't know how he's speaking. Guess what? He is speaking to you the way that he spoke. The father spoke to Jesus, moved with compassion. He speaks to us through our emotions. I'm not saying to be ruled by our emotions. You know, Christians are afraid of being ruled by their emotions so much so that we've put them somewhere that's so far out of our heart that we don't even—we're not even in tune with the fact that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us through our strong emotions. And it's—it's such a great way to engage with God. A powerful way to engage with Him. What would it look like if you were to welcome compassion as an invitation into action in your life? In the sphere of influence where God has placed you, do you know that every if I was to give everyone in this room like a sheet of paper and you were to put yourself at the center, and then you were to like, and I said, Okay, now put your close family friends, now put the layer you know, beyond that. Now people you work with, now people that are your neighbors, there'd be no sheet of paper with the same list of names, even people that are married would not have the same list of names on their sheet. Everyone has a unique sphere of influence where God has planted you like a seed for his kingdom. And in that place that he's planted you, he's inviting you to welcome compassion as an invitation into action. I want to take a quick detour to one of my favorite stories the invitation God gave Moses in a burning bush. <laughs> Remember why God came to Moses? Why did he come to Moses? Exodus 2 says the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant promise. Remember, these, these folks were being ruthlessly owned by Pharaoh. Their Pharaoh was killing their babies. Injustice upon injustice, and their cry rose to God. Fast forward to Exodus 3. The Lord said, "I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So now go, I am sending you. When God said, I'm about to come down and rescue them, did he actually come down and rescue them? What? Who did he, who did he send when he wanted to come rescue them? His people. This is how he moves. And even more now that we have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us, able to actually bring the healing power, restorative justice of God wherever that we go because he lives in us. God's coming to Moses was a direct answer to the cries that, that God heard. And, and God still moves this way, my brothers and sisters. You are the answer to the cries of the people in your life. There are people crying right now, crying out to God, if you're real God, if you're real Could you show up in my life? If you're real, could you send me a friend? If you're real, could you give me a family? If you're real, could you provide for my needs? And then God sends you. He he crosses paths, your path, with the people that are crying out to him. But he allows you to have a choice as to whether you're going to join him in his work, moved with compassion, answering the cries of the people in your community, or to opt out. This is... This is your choice. This burning bush, you know, I wonder if we would even notice a burning bush. Because our heads are so in our phones. Our heads are so focused. My head, I'm, you know, four fingers pointing back at me, right? My head so in my phone am I looking up to see the burning bush invitations all around. What if our life is a pathway of burning bush invitations that God is laying out before us? But unless we look up, open our eyes, listen and tune into what he's telling us, we miss it. We miss it. What if your compassion is actually the spirit of God tapping you on the shoulder, saying, one of my babies is hurting. I need you to go. Interestingly, in some translations, uh, Mark 1, 41 says that Jesus was moved with anger or that he was indignant rather than moved with compassion. I don't think that that's the proper translation for that, but it's interesting how closely those words are linked. Um, because when I imagine Jesus being indignant, it's not with the man. It's with his pain, right? It's, it's almost as if Jesus is saying, this is not the way it's supposed to be. There's that, there's that tone. And, and even though that, that translation there is compassion, if you, if you look at another passage um, in Mark chapter 10, you'll see something of Jesus' indignance. Okay. Do you ever find yourself moved with compassion? Do you ever find yourself saying, that's not the way it should be, indignant? Both of those, I believe, are invitations into action. What breaks your heart? What causes you to bang your fists? What is the invitation there? What if you were to sit with that for a little longer and ask God what he might be inviting you into through those strong emotions? So Mark chapter 10 says, Now people were bringing the little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, and the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw this, here he is, indignant. He was indignant and told them, let the little children come to me and don't hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Jesus has a special place in his heart for children. He just, he just does. Shoving them aside, not making room for them. It stirred up anger in him. He was like, disciple, are you kidding? You know the old language, forbid them not to come, let them come. In other words, bring them close to me. If this is how he felt about these children and the disciples trying to keep them from him, can you imagine how he feels about children that are abused and neglected in our city and community? Children experiencing foster care? His heart breaks, and I believe he's nudging his people. He's saying, oh, my people, my beloved sons and daughters, will you go? Will you welcome them in my name? There is a crisis in foster care in Alameda County. These precious children and teenagers, there's more of them coming into foster care every day than there are families to welcome them. In fact, 50% of the kids who come into foster care in Alameda County are displaced from their community, displaced from Alameda County, and sent miles away to other cities and homes that can welcome them. I was preaching at a church in Manteca in this late spring. And there was a woman there who was taking care of a baby who was from Oakland. And it struck me that the church in Manteca is caring for the vulnerable children of Oakland. And I just like, I think if the people and the families of Berkeley and Oakland and San Leandro and Hayward and North Livermore, if they knew, if they knew, they would do something about it. And I know we're all at different seasons of life, but I think it's really important for us to, to be aware of the crisis, of this displacement. James one twenty seven reflects Jesus' heart for these precious kids, the mandate that he gives us as his followers. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. In the original language, that caring for, um, it, it really, it, you know, caring for is a really nice way of saying it. <laughs> but caring for means showing up, drawing near, and being willing to risk serious personal involvement. Being willing to risk serious personal, personal involvement. I can't tell you how, how many people say to me, oh, I could never do that. I could never do that. I could never love a child and then see them go back. (laughs) And it is absolutely as heartbreaking as as anyone would think or imagine it to be. And yet I had to contend with those feelings in myself and say, Lord, am I willing that my heart be a little broken or be very broken so that a child is a little less heartbroken. Am I willing to offer that broken heart at the foot of the cross and allow him to heal me and restore me so that this child could be loved up and be wherever he needs to be? I do want to point out that this text says orphan. And most children in foster care are not actually orphans. They are children with families who love them, but are not able to express that love in a a way that's safe. Often these families um, have been affected by generational trauma, generational poverty, addiction, there's domestic violence, neglect. There's all kinds of things. There's a convergence of all kinds of human pain and heartache and demonic principalities and power coming all together in the life of this child and this family. Foster care is not about rescuing all the people from all the babies from the bad people. It's about being a resource. Families, loving families. These are not bad people. These are people that have found themselves in situations that has it's gotten out of their control. And they need support. And so we welcome children and we say we will take care of your children. We want to see resurrection stories, restoration stories, redemption stories. We've seen so many beautiful stories happen from our communities where where we have seen biological parents come to know Jesus because of the way that foster parents have loved their children and them through the process. Okay. Um, I wanna talk a little bit about the second half of this passion, refusing to let the world corrupt you. I think we think about that and we think of like moral righteous living, which is definitely a part of it. But what do you think is the most enticing invitation of the world? I think it's like like our own comfort, like staying comfortable. Like uh, it, this is—it's not my problem. This is not my problem. This is my money. This is my house. This is my stuff. This is not my problem. You know, why is this my responsibility? But in the kingdom of God, we belong to each other. We we take responsibility for the the most vulnerable in our communities. Jesus said to love our neighbor as ourselves and these are our most vulnerable neighbors and we're sending them to Manteca. (sighs) Okay. I I do also just want to mention some of the long-term impact of kids who are never welcomed into safe and loving homes. And I know I'm sowing seeds. I know many of you are in a season of life where you're like full-time students or just starting out in life and you're like, "Ah!" okay but I live with my mom I can't take you a child and foster care right now sister like I get that I hear that so I do I do come before you with a lot of humility and passion and boldness sowing seeds so that you are aware of this and that however God stirs your heart that you can get engaged so the long-term impact when the kids are not welcomed into safe and loving homes and they age out 50% of these kids will deal with substance abuse one in three will have an unsheltered season of their life. How many homeless folks that you see in this right, right over here have spent time in foster care? Probably many of them, because they're yeah. These are kids who age out, never having permanence, never having someone say, "I am not going anywhere. You are welcome here, and I'm not leaving you." Right? The the I'm telling you the the. Vulnerability to being trafficked. If you care about human trafficking, you care about foster care. If you care about education, you care about foster care. If you care about homelessness, you care about foster care. If you care, if you believe that life begins at conception, if you care about, if you are pro life, then you care about foster care. These things are all so connected. Pimps see the foster care system as a pipeline for recruitment. I'll be your daddy. I'll buy you some beautiful new shoes, baby girl. Just come over here. 14 year old girls. Right down here, international. Because no one else would say yes to them. So there's the 14-year-old knocking on our door saying, will you take me? Because there sure is a pimp down the street who will take me. And I just say, not on my watch and not on our watch, church. It is our responsibility to figure out what is our part in this. These aren't just stats to me. These are stories, you know. These are stories. I've looked into the eyes of women, of children. We had a a little boy in our home who came into our home when he was almost four. His mom had been um, trafficked. She'd been wooed by a Romeo pimp. You know, Romeo pimp is a guy who pretends to be your boyfriend. And she thought that he was her boyfriend. And he picked her up at a bus stop down in LA, wooed her. Within a month, he went in the middle of the night, picked her up at her grandma's house, brought her up to Oakland. And six weeks later, she was on the streets her little boy was with her and witnessed unspeakable things. And so he was removed from her care, and he came into our home. You can imagine the kind of trauma this child held, the kind of story that was in his body, the kind of ways he tried to work out what he had witnessed. It was the hardest year of our lives. So these aren't just numbers. Every number has a name, every name has a story, and every story matters to God, and so it matters to us. We believe the best way to see transformation in our communities is to go upstream, to welcome a vulnerable child today. To and this is our next slide. Transformation Seeing these stats go the other way can begin when we get involved earlier, before these pathways, right? Now that doesn't mean that kids won't deal with these, some of these kids won't deal with these kinds of um, challenges. Biological kids, <laughs> brothers and sisters, you know, you've, you have friends that you know that have struggled with some of these things, right? Every, it, we're all vulnerable to things. These kids are extra vulnerable and for us to make sure that we are going proactively after them. Okay, so I want to give you a couple ways to get engaged. The next slide is just our vision and mission. We we believe there is a church for every child. I'm telling you, this picture makes foster parents swoon all across (laughs) the counties because the idea of fostering with this kind of support, and this is where many of you might come in, this idea of being a support friend that comes around a foster family. First of all, a foster family is anyone who would say, Yes, to welcoming a child into their family. This could be a single person who's never fostered before or never parented before. This could be a young energetic couple. This could be empty nester couple um, with a lot of experience parenting. There is not a one size fits all for foster families. This is anyone who's open to hearing more about what it might mean to welcome a child who's vulnerable into their family for a season. And if this isn't a season that you can foster, the support friend is someone who comes around that foster family providing practical, emotional, spiritual support. You know, can you set up Ikea furniture? Can you drop off a boba? Can you do a Costco run? Can you, on the first, we have a, a support friend who every Sunday drops off farmer's market produce to a foster family. Can you tutor a child who's having trouble with math? What is it that you have in your hands that you can give and extend? This is a high commitment. We're not saying, hey, you know, someone's hey, let me know if you need something. Call me. It's like I'm committed to making sure that you have the support you need to foster longer and better. And so in this church community, while we're waiting and praying for a foster family to be raised up, if you're interested in being a support friend, um, we can find ways, things to kind of keep you engaged while we're waiting and praying for a foster family. There are also other local churches nearby that may have fostering families that you can connect to. We're also looking for a partner for Han He. Um, she is the advocate. Raise your hand in the back. Yeah, she has been our advocate. Um, it was Diop and then Diop worked with Han He and then Han He has taken the reins. And we're looking for a partner or two to come alongside her and really help lead this ministry here as well in this season. Um, and I, I I just, here's the thing. You know, the, the, the big picture of today is really about me inviting you to welcome compassion as an invitation into action in any area of your life that God has planted you. I know that not all of us are called to foster care, to to fostering, or to supporting a foster family. But I know that all of us are called to our most vulnerable neighbors in some way. And we are all invited to be the answer to prayer where Jesus has planted us. If you are stirred at all when you think about kids in foster care, I just want to encourage you to take one step and join us for an interest meeting. We have, um, the next slide shows, there's a couple options. You can hover over and just, you can actually RSVP right now. We have an interest meeting that's virtual. It's 7 to 8 on Tuesday night the 7th, and we have an in-person one in Oakland um, next Sunday. But I think it's during your service time, so I hate to... I hate to um, pull you away from your service time so that Tuesday virtual option is a great one for you here's the thing we when I when you I talk about this and you think I can never do this I'm not in the place of my life it's like all here here's the thing if you're stirred if the Holy Spirit is breaking your heart at all if you're stirred at all just come to an interest meeting and hear how you might get engaged we'd love to talk with you at the back table you can learn more um about this and 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 I just This is a long obedience in the same direction. This is a big ask. This could be the beginning of a journey that takes years, right? But these kids matter, and we have to fight for them and find ways to love them. We're going to be at a back table where you can come and complete a Next Step card, or you can RSVP for this meeting and learn more about what it means to get involved. But I just want to I want to close with a prayer over you before pastor comes back up. I want to remind you through the words of St. Teresa of Avila. Christ has no body but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now but yours. Amen.